Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Let's talk about work for a little bit. Is that what you want to talk about today? Yeah, oh, I knew it. This is the, when you come to church, you're like, I hope we can talk about my job all day long. So, you know, you might not feel comfortable answering this, but a lot of you might. First, there's a lot of people felt comfortable answering this. When I think, thinking about vocation, what kind of work do you do? Cust- Lord bless you. We, we are all sorry, first of all. We're sorry. Teacher, yeah. No, I got that in the first service. How many teachers we have in the room? Bunch of teachers. All right, bunch of teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless you too, and I'm sorry. Uh, for my sins and the sins of the next generation I'm raising. But man, you do amazing, amazing work. I heard construction somewhere over. Oh, yes. Yes. And we thank you for doing construction. That's how we met you. That's how we met your whole family is Chris's company was the one that ended up building this whole place out for us. And that was quite, you had no idea what you were getting into, but we're glad that you got into that. Now you're here with us. It was cool. First service, we had someone who said, I'm into insurance restoration, insurance restoration work. Well, he found us because he works next door over here at the company. Um, what's that? Uh, yeah, you all know the trucks all out in the via. Yeah, yeah, he works for Monitor. What else? What kind of work do you do? Parenting. Say that again. Parenting. Yeah. Now, do you like that or your Southwest, Southwest work better? Which is better? Southwest. <laughs> well, you just brought another king into the world. Congratulations for you guys. How old's the little man now? One week old. Buddy. And I saw you had you had all the kids but one today, right? So so Roberta's home with little man today? Yeah, well, you're a good man for getting up and bringing these kids to church and probably your break for the day, right? <laughs> the closest you're going to get to one, yeah. What, else, what kind of work do you do? Medical repair. Yeah, we need to be good friends with you. We need you to be really good at what you do, okay? Because the day that I see you coming, if I'm hooked up to something you're repairing, I need you to be at the top of your game, okay? What else? Accountant. Accountant. Yeah, and I heard over here. Administrative. Yes. Now, I'm glad you said administrative support. This title of administrative assistant is very unfair because you do far more than assist. Most of us, our lives depend on you. We assist you. So for a counseling service, accountant, that's near and dear to my heart. Probably if God didn't call to ministry, I would have done something in that because I like Excel. I like numbers and spreadsheets, and I like when it works, and I hate when a penny isn't accounted for. This is why Connie and I get along very well, because we're wired that way. So, like, I like, also, the word for it is nerd. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to that, but it just makes me happy. I enjoy numbers. So, uh, anybody else? What kind of work? I can't out all of you, because I, I was looking around, and I'm like, some of you, I know what you do, and I want to volunteer, but some of what you do, it, it's classified stuff, so I can't really say what you do. Yeah, John, John does, yeah, John is an engineer, not of a train. I had to tell people that earlier, not a train. He, he solves problems, y- yes, and, and he, yes, a lot of the stuff he can't tell me till three years after he's done. I won't say who this person is, but someone who I know works in top secret uh, stuff around here, um, I was just having small talk, and I said, I can't even talk about what you do, and the individual said, yeah, do you know the other week I moved an asteroid? I was like, I read that on my news feed. You did that? Yeah. It's pretty cool. 
Another person had just started a new job, and I, and I was asking them, it was one of our young adults, I was asking them, I said, so what do you do? Well, it's kind of top secret. All, it's kind of been lame these first two weeks. I just went out, and I've been testing GPS systems for missiles and playing with drones in the desert. Like, that would be like a dream, that would be like a bucket list thing for me. Like, really? Well, what do you do? I'm like, well, I study the Bible, and I listen to people's problems, and I, I don't play with drones or missile systems, and I don't know anything about asteroids. And I heard someone say, yeah, I moved an asteroid the other day, too. It just, so that was pretty cool. Anybody else? My job's comparatively lame compared to anybody else. What do you do? What kind of work do you do? You're a nurse? Awesome. Yes, Betty? One hundred and seven early childhood children, you direct a center for them. Jesus, just all of it, all the anointing, all the strength. I'm trying, I've barely, we're barely raising two boys out of early childhood, and so God bless you for that. Um, yeah, how many of you are retired? Yeah, see, now, the, now you put yes. In the first service when I said maybe different populations of different services, that was like the number one answer, like, Retired. And everybody else just kind of looked at them like with bitterness in their hearts. Like, yeah. What's interesting is that when I ask you what kind of work you do, most of you knew the answer. It would be really weird if I said, what kind of work do you do? And you said, oh, wait, hold on, let me think. I do it 50 hours a week. I've been doing it for 10 years. Oh, what was that again? Babe, can you help me? What, what kind? You know, if you've been working at a job for 10 years, and you can't remember what kind of work you do, we need to have you seen by somebody that works here, okay? Like, we need to help you with that. You know the answer to that. You know what your job is. You know what kind of work you do. Or you know that you're retired. Now, why do you work? To provide money. That, well, that's, I realize there's different answers for this, okay? Let's just test this out together. Is it at least reasonable for me to think that one of the, t- we're playing Family Feud and Steve Harvey, we're here, he's got a better smile than me, same great hair, but, you know, better smile than me, he's funnier. If we were playing Family Feud and we say, you know, 100 people surveyed, what's the number one reason why people work? To provide, to make money. Well, that's a terrible, how else are you going to do that legally? There's very few of us that are privileged enough to be born into such kind of wealth that we don't ever have to work and we can just pay for shelter and clothing and all the things we need. We work, it's an exchange, right? You're giving your labor in exchange for wages and you're using those wages to pay for the things you need to live. How many of you, if you were independently wealthy, would still work? Okay, a few of us. How many of you, if you were independently wealthy, would not work? Okay. There's a room for different answers here. But I think the reason why is because it's an exchange. We need to get something back out of it in order to live. So those, you know, those are kind of basic. Now, how much do you like your work? You love your job. Good. And your students, you're a middle school teacher, so we need you to love your job. Those are great moments. Kind of like I, most of what I do is teaching. And nobody is awkward in my congregation. And nobody, see, I got the good group, right? And we do live for those little moments where you're like, I've taught this for 24 years. And finally somebody said, I got it. Yeah, yeah, that's those light bulbs. Yeah, those, it's, it's, I get, I, I feel that. 
Anybody not really, your boss is not looking. Anybody not really enjoy your job? Man, your hand went up fast. Your mom said, don't you, you put your... Do you have days where you just don't like it? Are there some things about your job? Maybe it's a mixed bag. Some things about your job. If you could get rid of a few things from your job that you don't like, would you be okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. It just, if you're going to do, now here's the other question. How much time every week do you work? <laughs> some of you just looked at me with the, just laughed at me. Like, Haha, I couldn't even tell you. First, the first answer I heard was, too much. And then someone else said, not enough. Yeah. I don't know, 20, 30, 50. Oh, now we're going to have a contest. 60. That's the next one. It's coming. Get ready, prophet. 65. How many? 70. 65. Yeah. You can kind of, like around here, around Baltimore County, that's like a badge of honor. You work 65, I work 140 hours a week. I work 200 hours a week. There's not 200 hours in a week. I work fast. Right? Now, how many hours a week do you sleep? 12. Is it safe to say the one activity you probably do more than anything else is work? Do you spend 60 hours a week even sleeping? That would be more than that would be more than seven hours a night. That's it. Yeah, at a girl. You do customer service. We need you well rested. At a girl. Now, do you think this catches God by surprise in the way that He designed you? Do you think He designed you with working in mind? He did. I don't have time to unpack that whole Bible study, but the Bible tells us to work, how to work, why to work. Do you think God intends all of your work to be miserable? Isn't it a bonus, or wouldn't it be a bonus for those of us who get to say, I love what I do? Now, that, sometimes that's a luxury, right? As we've said, whether I love it or not, every morning, that, right, Kyle? There I go. Now, you might not have a job like mine where I love everything and everybody is. <laughs> she's like he ain't down true. no <laughs> but it's it's a bonus when you can say yeah I have to but I get to because some of us go to work because we have to do you work with anybody who's there because they have to be there it wasn't like being around them yeah and yet there's others who say you know or you have moments and you just say man I get to do this I get to do this. Now, interestingly enough, let me transition here. I hope most of us are Christians. Would that be safe on a Sunday morning? Now, I don't want to get to a place where we're only Christians. I hope every week there's people here today. You wouldn't say, you'd say, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I am. I'm, I'm here. Someone invited me. I'm curious, something attracted to me here. I'm trying to reconnect with something from my past. I hope you're here. Last Sunday, there were lots of you here. I get to tell some of your stories anonymously today. But there's a lot of us in here who would say, I am a Christian, 
and I can be even more specific. I am a, we'll use a D word, the, a disciple. Now let's make that more tangible. What, what's a disciple? Who is a disciple? It's a f- follower. Now in Christianity, we say we are followers of Jesus. That's still a little churchy, but it's right. Let me, you, we know better. We can get a little bit more around that. A disciple is someone who wants their life to resemble the person they're following, right? If you're a disciple of a certain musician, you want to sing like them, play like them, sound like them. If you're a disciple of a certain athlete, I watched a video the other, uh, the other night of, of Kobe Bryant guarding a young basketball player at the time by the name of Andrew Wiggins, and they, they slowed down the video and they showed Andrew Wiggins during a turnaround jump shot and kicking his front foot up with Kobe right in his face, and the shot goes in. They show them running down the court, and Kobe looks at Andrew and says, that looked familiar. And he looked back at him and says, he says, exactly, I got that by watching you. So here you have, you know, he in one way would be a Kobe disciple. He watched his jump shot enough, and he wanted his jumper to resemble Kobe's jumper. Now, I'm not trying to practice Jesus' jump shot. <laughs> that, that ship has sailed in my life. But as a disciple, what I'm really saying is I'm on a journey of my life resembling the life Jesus lived when he was here on the same earth that I am. That's what we've been talking about. It's gradual. It's a process. How many of you are on that journey with me? Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. Do disciples have work? Do disciples have work? We agree. What work do you do? You disciple others, you be just like your master. Those are good answers. What else? Study the word, prayer, fellowship, tell the story. Why did I do six this way? It's supposed to be like that. Sorry. (laughs) Spread the word, okay? The great commission, worship, yeah. We've got nine answers so far. Study, yeah, ten answers. I guess we better say fasting today. That sounds like the type of work we have to do rather than we get to do. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Now, are those good answers? Yeah. If you're here for the first time, did I just confuse you? Because what I would like to say is, There's a lot of silence, too. In other words, if I ask some of you just one-on-one, what work do you do as a disciple? What's your job? We shouldn't have 11 different answers, right? We should all know what our job is. We should know how to do it. We should know when to get it done. And what what if you actually enjoyed it? I want you to know there is no such thing as a non-working disciple. None. You do not retire from discipleship to a life of retirement. You just get promoted to a new kingdom. Same kingdom, much better view, right? Better body, better hair. But I want to tell you something. Everything that everybody said, I wouldn't debate anything that anybody said. But it's just where you would put them in the order of what this looks like. There are certain things in our Christian life Um, it's not our assigned work. It's part of our being a disciple, right? Because at this church, we have a mission. 
We are passionately committed, some of you have heard this before, to what? Being and making who? That's it. If we have an idea, it's got to fit into there somehow or we don't do it. There's lots of good things to do. But if it's not helping you to more closely resemble Jesus and or if it's not helping you know better how to help someone else along their journey, we don't need to do that. There's lots of other places that can do that, but that's what God's put on our heart to do and to be. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about our spiritual journey, that everybody is on a spiritual journey. We're either drawing towards what? The long word? Christ-likeness. Or we're drifting towards being the best version of ourselves that we want to be. Everybody in the world is on that journey. They're either drawing this way or drifting that way. Okay. We talked about that. Last week, we talked about appetite and activity. We talked about where does the Holy Spirit get under the hood of my life and fit the pieces of me together in such a way that I'm actually making progress, I'm resembling Jesus more. We talked about that last week, the different garages, so to speak, the different activities we can practice in our own life, and you named a lot of those this morning because that's part of it, studying the Bible, worship, the Word, all those different types of things. That's part of how the Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus. Because the, the good news is, you don't do the work of making yourself like Jesus. You can't. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. Those two lessons were about being disciples. We need to talk at least for a few minutes about how do we make disciples. Pastor, not my job. That's you. You're the pastor. Your job is to make disciples. No and Yes. I have an extra assignment that you don't have if you're not a pastor. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in that chapter, Paul writes to a pastor for all other pastors. And here's what he says. He says, listen, here's your job. Your job is to equip believers to do the, starts with a W, ends with a K, has an or in the middle, work of the ministry. That means my primary but not my only job description is to equip believers to do their work. That means you have work assigned, I have work assigned. But I would also say to all pastors listening today or here in attendance, we're also disciples. We are not exempt from making disciples we just get the extra responsibility of equipping disciples to make disciples. Which means at the end of the day, I'm not supposed to protect my job by making sure that I am the spiritual guru for every individual person. You all have to come to me and I am the sage. My job is to give away the keys to the kingdom to as many people as I can so that you can do the work God's called you to do. Which means you have work. Where would we go to find the work? I think it might have been Haley that said it. Jesus tells you generally what work we're to be doing. And Paul tells us specifically what work we're supposed to be doing and how to get it done. And that's all I want you to be able to leave here with this morning. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am a disciple of Jesus and I know the work that I'm doing. 
generally that I share with all my brothers and sisters. I also have a sense of how God has uniquely wired my personality and how I get it done specifically. So I know the general work I'm supposed to be doing. I know the specific work I'm supposed to be doing. I know how to get it done, and here would be a bonus. I also want you to understand why you work for the Lord, because it's different from how we work for the man or the woman or the government or the job. Because I work to earn because I have to. For, to I mean, we have to. It's an exchange. You know, there's a lot of people who work for the Lord for the same reason. They work in order to. I go to church in order for God to be pleased with me. In order to make God happy. I do my Christian work in order to not feel guilty. I do my Christian work in order for God to get me into heaven to approve of me. That's not why we work. That's called works-based salvation. If I perform, God will accept me. Guess what? Your performance is not acceptable. Only one person's performance is acceptable. Who's that? And Jesus offers you his resume and substitute for yours. And when God accepts you, it's never on your resume. God, here's all the things I prophesied, I did, I gave. That's all like filthy rags. Only one resume is acceptable. And the free gift is that resume in place of yours. You and I can't get in this mentality of, I need to do all these things in order for God to accept me, to like me. No, 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 no. We do these things because of. We work in response to. We work because we get to. And I want you to know the work of the Lord. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's painful. Oh, but it's so satisfying. I love working for the Lord and with the Lord. I love it. And that's a bonus to any job when your desire can sweeten your activity. And so I hope I can get it. Let me show you what it is generally. I got to pick up the pace. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Last couple sentences in Matthew. How many of you have ever heard the Great Commission? It's not the very good commission. It's the great. Jesus was speaking to whom? His disciples. For whom? All future disciples. Here's what he says. Verse 18, Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples. Now, listen how he starts off the conversation. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Someone starts a conversation out with you that way, you're going to listen. Some of you are going to bow up right away. Who do you think you are, lady? He says, first of all, I have been given all authority. Therefore, whatever I say next is not optional. It's binding. It is a commandment. He could have followed that with anything. Here's what he says. Therefore, you know the next word? Go. Don't sit around and wait. Go and make. Wish I had time to talk on that. I can't. Disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey 
all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, listen, I'm not calling you to do something I'm not involved in. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. So what's the general job of a disciple? Go and make disciples. Just for the pastors. Nope. Disciples. Now, how confident do you feel in your ability to do that? Good. Okay. Anybody say, uh, Some of you are doing it way down here. That's okay. I see those hands. I'm glad you're here. This is the best place to be. We all start there. And if you're only ever there, when we talk about this, here's how you're going to feel. You're going to feel guilty. I know I should, but I'm not. And I know that I should, and I'm not. And every time I think about it, I feel worse. We're going to break that cycle today. That's, ugh. Who wants to be there? We all start there. These lovable knuckleheads started there. Have you read about some of their huge mistakes and blunders? Yeah. But you know what? They wanted to. That's, so now we're back to appetite and activity. How actively are you going and making disciples? Second question. Regardless of activity, how much do you want to do that? Based on where you're at in there, we can help you get some traction here. That's the general job. So if you're running to somebody at work, you're talking to someone at the coffee shop or in line somewhere, and the topic of, somehow the topic of you being a Christian, it comes up somehow. And they ask you, okay, well, well, what do you do at your church? What do you do? What, What types of activities? Now you have an answer. Well, my... Generally speaking, my job is to make disciples. My job is to read the word. My job is to, no, our job is to make disciples. That's our work. That's our work. Not conversions. Jesus does that. Disciples. Now, there's more specific, but that's the general work. But Paul gets much more specific. Let me read it to you. He tells you the how. Here's your strategy. You want to memorize two verses in the New Testament this week? Memorize these two and never forget them. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in the church at Colossae. And he's giving them two verses, just two sentences that tell us exactly how we do the work God's assigned to all of us. Live. Let's stop there. How are we doing on that one? Just If you're not sure, talk to a neighbor or see security, okay? So if you're alive, you're supposed to be working, okay? Let me take that. If you're alive, you get to work. Now, how are you supposed to live? There's an adverb there, wisely. Aha. Now we're getting a little personal. That deserves a whole sermon. Another day, another time. Better yet, Holy Spirit can teach you this week if you're curious. Live wisely among those. Now we're talking social life. He's getting real very quick. If we're alive, we have work. There's a way we're, how are we supposed to live? Wisely and among who? There's an among those. That means 
Part of our work involves relationships with other people. And you're like, Pastor, that sounds great. One problem, don't really like people. Okay, fair. If I had time to talk with you, it would probably be just certain people you don't like. No, all people. Jesus. Okay, like, let me help you. Can we at least agree that our relationship appetite varies from person to person? You agree with that? Some, some people, they want to have 150 BFFs, best friends. That energizes them. Go for it. I'm not that guy. That's too much drama for me. Too much. It's a lot of work. But it's too much work for me because my capacity for that is different. Because I can't possibly have the type of depth of friendship with 150 people that I can with five or six or seven or eight. Live wisely among who? <laughs> Here we go. Those who are not believers. Question one, number one, how do you know if they are or they aren't? Spirit recognizes spirit, correct. And what else? I heard someone else, by the way that they live, correct. But let me just pause there just for a second. Well, I, pastor, I'm a Christian. I just know whether Christians are not by how they live. Well, tell me more. Well, you know, I listen to their language. I look at their driving habits. I look at how they treat people. And I can just tell they're not. Now, fair enough. What if people assessed your relationship with Jesus by the same criteria? By your language, how you talk about others, by the way that you work, by how you treat those who you report to and those who report to you, by the way that you drive or give or behave, by your language, by the stuff that you watch, the jokes that you tell. Fair? Okay. So that's one thing we look at. We look at lifestyle. Paul's going to give you the second way you find out. I'm going to get there. Live wisely among those who are not believers. That means the Bible expects disciples are going to somehow converse, relate to, or work alongside of people who don't share their faith. Quick survey. For how many of you, you say this is easy because I'm around unbelievers all the time? Okay. How many of you say it's a little harder? I'm not around that many unbelievers. Look, I work in an office where it's rec- you've got to be saved. Okay. I don't run into pastors on our staff who are spiritually unresolved. It should be assuring. I hope so, right? But look, do you know what that means? So for me, I cannot just assume that I'm going to spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week working alongside of people who don't share my faith. But I'm not exempt from living wisely among unbelievers. So it's going to take a little extra intention from me because I am not content to live an insulated life where I don't have friends and associates, or where I'm not interacting with folks who believe differently than I do. Ten years ago, I recognized that. I was in a really big church. All my friendship needs were met within that church. All my social needs were met within that church. All my time was filled within that church. And what happened pretty quickly was, I'm like, I'm getting stale here. Because I don't know what it's like. So I was like, enough. I prayed to the Lord, Lord, help change my heart. Oh, boy, did he answer that prayer in spades, man. Love it. I love it. Love it. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Because here's what will happen. You'll have opportunities. For what? He keeps going. Let your what? 
There it is. The two ways you find out if you're living among unbelievers. There's the eye test and the lifestyle test, but then you also have the conversation. Pastor, I don't need it, just the eye test. Nope, you need the full story. How are they going to know? You can work alongside them for 50 years and give them a card every Christmas and never tell them about Jesus. You didn't help them. At some point, there's got to be conversations. The Bible says conversations, and now we're like, "Uh uh-oh. I live wisely among a lot of unbelievers, but when it comes to conversations, we have them, but not about Jesus. Okay. We're going to help you. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you have the right response for everyone. This is the how-to. What's our general job? To go and make disciples. Well, how do we do it? What's my job specifically? Here it is. It's a mouthful, but here it is. Our job is to live wisely among unbelievers, engaging them in spiritual conversations, which help us learn about where they are in their spiritual journey and how we can use our lives to draw them to Jesus. I don't expect you to remember all that, but if you can, it'll help you. That's the whole mouthful. Would look terrible on a t-shirt, font would be too small, but there's the idea. You can simply to get into conversations with people who don't know Jesus. Of course, you can have a lot of conversations with people who don't know Jesus. That spiritual conversations. And I'm going to listen in those conversations for cues and clues as to where they're at in their walk with Jesus. And then prayerfully through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to use some combination of prayer and care and share to influence them to Jesus. That's as simple as I can make it. Now, if I asked you, how appealing does that sound to you? Where would you say your heart is right now? I, I, you're going to have a hard time arguing with me that, it, that that's not important or that that's not solid. Most of us would agree, yeah, pastor, that's solid. That sounds right. That's my specific work. But if I ask you, you know, how enthusiastic are you about that? What feelings bubble up in your heart when you think about a life that looks like that? I'm living wisely among unbelievers and we're getting into conversations that have spiritual characteristics, and I'm listening into what they're saying. How, what are some of the feelings you start feeling when we talk about this? Thank you. You said what we're all thinking, but too nervous to say. Anxiety, apprehension. That's good. Inadequacy, fear of rejection. Absolutely, hundred percent. What else? Excited, hopeful. Spirit-led, optimistic, and pessimistic, and all the other istics, right? Is it possible to feel all these feelings simultaneously? Sure. Sure. I'm going to give you a word for that, that condition, okay? Normal. Do you remember when Jesus was prepping the disciples saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to go, and they're like, you can't go. No, you got to get on with the work, and I'm going to leave. You can't go. Who's going to tell us what to say? Who's going to back us up when we get into conversations we can't handle? When the demons start kicking our tails, who's going to step in and bail us out of this? He's like, no, it's better for you that I go than if I stay. And they're like, you can't. Do you hear anxiety there? Do you hear apprehension? Do you hear inadequacy there? And those are the disciples. First name, the Last name, disciples. 
Why are you saying all this? Because I don't want you to beat yourself up and get stuck there. Come to me if you're weak. Come to me if you feel inadequate. Here's my question. Don't, don't you in your heart of hearts be honest. Now, don't you want, though, to live that kind of life? I do. No, Pastor, I don't want to live that kind of a life. Then you better know Jesus. I question if he's in you because that's his heart. I'm not asking, you can feel inadequate and nervous and afraid and worried about rejection. You can feel all those things and still say, but nevertheless, I want to live that way. And I tell you, if you have a desire there, we're in good shape. Right? But it's normal. And it's probably because of one of two things, because this involves people and spiritual conversations. Some of you are like, I'm cool with spiritual conversations, but don't like people. I don't have any desire to make new friends. I don't want to. That's just not my thing. I, it's the people part of it. Okay. Others of you are like, I am down with people. I like people. I enjoy, but, and I can talk with them. I can hang with them. I can befriend them. I can care for them. I can pray for them privately. But when it comes down to actually talking to them about Jesus, ooh, I've not had a good track record with that. I don't know what to say. I get inadequate. I'm afraid it'll ruin the friendship. I'm afraid they'll get I'm afraid they'll blow me off. They'll make fun of me. It will cost me socially. They'll distance themselves from me. It'll hold me to a standard I don't want to be held to. All these different kinds of things. So you can get stuck there too. Let me tell you something. I don't want you to be intimidated by conversations. You don't even have to start there. You know what you need? You need to be a good listener. You walk close enough to someone, they will tell you stuff. Fair? You've probably had conversations with people that were very uncomfortable and they told you much more than you wanted to hear. Might not have been spiritual, but let me give you some facts the Bible gives us to encourage you to get involved with some activity. I don't even know if I'll get to, I definitely didn't get through them in the first service, but first thing I want you to know is everybody's on a spiritual journey. This is relevant. Spiritual conversations are relevant to every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. Everybody's on a spiritual journey. They're either drift, they're either drawing towards the image of Jesus, which we call one word, Christ-likeness, or we're drifting towards being the best version of ourselves, being the me I want to be. Everybody along that, everybody along that journey, they're in a spiritual place. Let me give you a couple general broad categories to help you see this. Even the people who I would put farthest down on this direction, I'd call them people who are opposed to Jesus. They're hostile. You've been around someone like this? Jesus, church, religion, faith comes up, and not, there's not, they're not neutral. They are anti. You've been around someone like that? They're angry. They're dismissive. Well, pastor, how do I, if my job is to live wisely among them and get into spiritual conversations, how do I do that? They always shut anything down. Here's where you want to go. People who are opposed, they've They'd say, I reject. I'm not on any spiritual journey. I don't even believe in that spiritual stuff. That is, in fact, a spiritual journey. They've come to a conclusion that they've thought about. They've had an experience that hurt them. 
They've, there's some reason that they've come to that conclusion. And all that we, all, the, the one thing you want to get to, don't start on the Romans road with them. I don't know what it is. Good, don't worry about it. That person doesn't need you to preach anything to them. They need to be heard. Because there is a reason why they feel that strongly. And how can you even know how to begin to minister to them until they get that out to you? So if that's somebody in your life, can I encourage you today? It's not about anything you have to say. It's about caring, praying for them and caring for them and praying for them and caring for them and then hope and then waiting and listening and watching for a moment to maybe ask a question or to be able to draw that. You want them to feel safe enough to tell you why they're so closed. Okay? You know, prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. How do I do this? Prayer, care, share. You pray for them every day. You pray for you every day, and you look for opportunities to tangibly show care for them. You repeat, rinse and repeat, and rinse and repeat, prayer, care, prayer, care, prayer, care. And you watch for those moments. Sometimes it's just moments. Well, they will share with you. It's not, even, it's not just about you sharing with them because that's where we get intimidated. What if I told you 95% of it is them sharing with you? That guides what you can share with them. There's another broad category. I'll move through these quickly. These are not difficult. There's another category of people, they're open. They're not saved. They're not Christians, but they're open. They might be neutral. They're open to conversing about Jesus. I shared a stat in the earlier service. There's a bunch of these in your notes, but uh, I got this from uh, Crew, Crew Campus Crusades. Um, 73% of unchurched Americans between the ages of 20 and 29 consider themselves spiritual and want to know more about a higher being or God. Three out of four young adults are curious and open to talking about it. 89% of that same group say they would listen to someone's beliefs about Christianity if it were in a conversational way. Okay. You know what that tells me? People's hearts are more open than you think they are. Okay. So when people are open, they'll talk about it. How do we, how do we, we, we want to give them an invitation to seek, you know, and then you run to people that might be in a seeking stage. They're not Christians yet, but boy, they're investigating now. They're like, I'm curious. I want to know more. I want to think about this. Listen, not everybody follows through these steps, one through three. It's a, these are just general categories to help you figure out where people with investigations, now we really want to share with them. And then sometimes you also find out, hey, this person, I didn't know what they believed. I found they're saved right? They've surrendered their life to Jesus. And Paul talks about two other terms we won't talk about at all today. There's some in your notes, but Paul described himself at first as a Christian, then as a servant of Christ. When he was talking about, I'm at a place now, I'm not even trying to figure out how much of my Christian life can I get away with before it's sin? How much can I, how much of many of my rights can I forfeit in order to be close to Jesus? And then at the end of his life, he said, I am a slave to Jesus. I want to know him so much. I'm even willing to suffer if that'll draw me closer to him. Just broad categories, but everybody's on a spiritual journey. Second fact I want to give you, this is really good news. God's already at work. You are not starting it. You are not the first one through the wall. You are not the first one to the island. God has been working on his heart or her heart since the moment that they were alive. God's not asking you to go build a house from scratch. He's saying, I've been building this house. Can you come alongside me? I'm not just going to hand you the paintbrush and leave. Come alongside me. I'm already working on their heart. Well, how do you know this? 
Jesus told us. Remember when I told you about that time he had a conversation with his disciples in John chapter 16? He's trying to get them ready. He's like, he knows he's about to go to the cross. He's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to go to heaven. He's leaving them. He's turning the keys to the church over to them. They are not ready, so they think. And they're like, you cannot leave us to do this work by ourselves. And he gets in this conversation where he said, no, it's actually better for you that I leave. And they're like, you are crazy. They said that many times. He's like, because, let me read it to you, John 16. In fact, it's best for you that I go away. Can you imagine how hard that is to hear? Jesus trying to tell someone it's better. Aren't we on a journey of being as close to Jesus as we can be? He's like, it's for your best that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. Who's the advocate? Holy Spirit. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes... He's going to be up to three things. Here's his work. He will convict who? The whole world of its sin. You know what that means? The Holy Spirit is going to be working on the hearts of everybody to show them you're human and therefore you're imperfect. Everybody makes mistakes. To err is to be human. Nobody's perfect. No one will argue with you about that. You know why? The Bible tells us why. It's because the Holy Spirit's making us aware that we're not perfect. Second thing, he's going to convince the world that God is righteous and we're not. Thirdly, he's going to convince the world that at some point it's just right that bad deeds don't go unpunished. Why does every country have a justice system? Because in our hearts it's like, people can't do wrong and get away with it. Exactly. Where'd that idea come from? Holy Spirit. He's working on every heart. You know what he's already told that person in some way? They're aware. They're in some form of having to wrestle with the fact that they're not perfect. That there is a God that they're not right with. And that someday they're going to have to be judged for what they've done wrong. And every human being on the face of the earth is dealing with that somehow. Some people are saying, I'm dealing with it to the point of ignorance. I'll just say it doesn't exist, and therefore it doesn't bother me anymore. And then there's other people who say, I believe that it exists, and I'm going to find my own way to deal with those things. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to be the true version of myself. I'm going to create an idea of a God that's not as offensive but more permissible and tolerant of me. And I'm going to make sure I do enough stuff here to build a resume that will get me out of any consequences. Why do you say all that? I just want you to know this. Holy Spirit's been doing that in people's hearts since the beginning of time. God has given us, third fact, God's given us the privilege of being his fellow workers. He's saying, come work with me. Come work with me. There's a lot more in your notes. I can't get to any of it today. Okay? But if you'll download it, I have shared with you the basics. I take you beyond this. And in your notes, I'm telling you, if there's ever a time to download them, download them this week and meditate on it. I go into more detail than I ever have before about prayer, care, share. That's just a simple thing I want to leave with you. How do I do this, Pastor? My general work, make disciples. My specific work, I got I to gotta have some relationships with people who aren't believers, and I got to talk with them. I got to listen to them. And through those conversations, I need to find a way to draw them closer to Jesus. And that, that leaves some unanswered questions. Well, well, how do I get ready for that talk? All in that document. Boils down to this. You just need to be able to be very confident of two things. Jesus' story and your story. 
That's it. The basics. The very basics. Put it all in your notes in short form. You can, you can read it once. It'll stick because you know the story. You just might not feel like you can put it into words. It's all about sometimes drawing out parts of your story to relate. Sometimes it's about drawing out parts of Jesus' story to relate. And then we want to show how my story and Jesus' story intersected. You might not always get an opportunity to do that in one shot. It might be several little conversations over a period of time. But the way that you take this, and pastor, I want to be more active. Here's your assignment. Prayer, care, share. Prayer, care, share. Ask God to put one person on your heart. Well, who? Somebody you know. Everybody I know is saved. Somebody you used to know. They're all dead. Fine. Somebody you don't know yet. That's where it's going to come from. And you start praying for them every day. And you pray over you every day. And then you just say, God, show me a way I can show care for them today. Prayer, care, prayer, care, prayer, care, prayer, care. We open up opportunities to share. Worship team, will you come? I want to inspire you with this story. I hope it will inspire you and encourage you. Um, I told you about a decade ago, I noticed an appetite growing in me to be more active in living wisely among unbelievers getting into spiritual conversations. I have spiritual conversations all the time. Most of them are with believers, and that's great. I thank God for it, but there's just a part of my dad that lives in me, Heavenly Father, that lives in me, that has an appetite to see people saved, to go after. I want to be part. My Heavenly Father is trying to bring all his estranged kids back into the family again and restore relationship with him. And I will be honest, there was a while that, that was, I felt very afraid and inadequate. I'm like, God, I do good in this room, but outside of this room, I don't do as good. God said, well, let's just go together. Okay. I can't take you through that whole journey, but can I just tell you this? I love this work. I love it. And I still get afraid. And I still feel inadequate. I still feel those things, but I love it. And some days it's so hard and painful. Because, you know, I, once you start praying about somebody, you start becoming very discontent with the condition of their soul. And you don't want to go into eternity without them because you love them so deeply. I don't want to go into eternity without Tom. I don't want to go into eternity without Derek. I don't want to go into eternity without Ronald. I don't want to go into eternity without Bradley. don't want to go into eternity without any of them. Any of the boys that I coached over the years. And that's the difficult part. And I'm like, if that's how torn up I am about their soul, how must God feel about all of his, his kids that are estranged? Right? So there's that appetite in me. Let me tell you one little story about how, just how the Holy Spirit works on people. Um, in November, I met a dude named, I'm not going to use his real name in case he finds this because that's burned to me before. Met a dude uh, named Ronald. 69 going on 70. We were both looking at a cast iron typewriter from the 1920s and we both wanted it. I had gotten into the room first. This is at a, a public sale. I, and I was inspecting the things before they went up for sale, auction style. And I, unfortunately, I'm a cesspool of meaningless trivia on typewriters. I have a small 
e-commerce business. It's just a side hustle for us to achieve some financial goals. And so it's inventory for me, no more, no less. And I'd already done the homework on it. And I saw this guy, I didn't know his name, but I knew him because he sat about eight rows in front of where I stand because that's strategic. I want to see who's bidding on what. Play the psychological game with them, right? And I'm like, this dude, if I'm honest, I kind of didn't like him already because he always bid on the same stuff that I did. So I kind of didn't like him. And he came over and he was starting to look at the thing and I could tell he didn't know where the model number was on this one. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell him. Because if I tell him the model number, it's gonna, the price is going to go. And I just, I just tell him. I told him the model number. I said, he just looked at me suspiciously. Like, I don't believe you, your competition. He looked around and he found it. I tried to make small talk and he shut me down. I'm like, that's fine. I don't like you anyway. And we just moved on. <laughs> About 10 minutes later, he comes over to me. And he says, uh, I've been wanting to know who you were. Okay, we're off to a great start, right? <laughs> he said, uh, every week... When I'm bidding on stuff in here and I'm trying to get for cheap, there's always someone that outbids me and it's number 20. Are you number 20? Yeah, I'm number 20. He's like, and I thought to myself the other week, and I thought this was a joke. This was the Holy Spirit. I need to get to know that guy and find out what he's all about. Now, I'll be honest, in that moment, my spiritual antenna were not up. It was auction Phil, not pastor Phil, right? We start to talk, and, and I said, so what's your story? He's like, I'm 69, about to be 70. I'm like, dude, really? I'm like, Joker is in great shape, full head of hair, not a wrinkle. I'm like, how do you, whatever, whatever. He's like, I've had three surgery, heart surgeries this last year. We get going down that trail. He said, uh, back in October, I added up all the money I had in checking and savings, and I had a bonus check coming from work. I've been in commercial truck sales for all my life, and he said, I added it up, and it was $800 more than the remaining balance on my house. And I just told my wife, I'm sick of working. I'm going down to pay off the house, and I'm going to retire. He drove down to Wells Fargo Bank and went up to the teller and said, can I make a mortgage payment today? She said, absolutely. He said, he cut a check and slid it across the thing. And she looked at it and looked at him and said, that's my last payment. He said, so I have $800 in the bank. I've paid everything else off. I'm just ready to retire, and I want to do, I've decided I'm going to do this e-commerce stuff as just my way of supplementing my Social Security and retirement. And now I'm feeling like, and here I am taking food off of this guy's table. You know, I'm like, I'm feeling terrible. He's like, and I've noticed that you and I bid on a lot of the same things. And so we got to talking, and, you know, we're starting to just converse a little bit. And uh, then he says, okay, so what's your story? What do you do? And I'm like, here it goes. Like, when you do what I do, you kind of dread those questions. Like, Deanna, like, I, like, I have no way of hiding behind. But I didn't, like, apologize. I just said, you know, actually, I have... I love my job. I'm a pastor of a church. And he goes, <gasps> and he covers his mouth right away. Have you ever had this happen? He's like, I'm so sorry for all the language I've been using the last 15 minutes. He's like, you didn't even bat an eye. I was like, you should hear how my congregation talks. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. kidding. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, believe it or not, I have heard those words before. Now that one with five syllables, I've never heard that one. That was like a hybrid of a few. And we just started laughing. And, um, you know, so we were, ended up just being friendly and, Small talk and grew from there. Uh, in uh, the first week of January, uh, the last week of December, actually, he comes to me um, and he says, uh, before the auction started, he said, hey, man, let me get your cell phone number. I'm like, okay, here you go. 
gave it to him, and he said, uh, I was just thinking, you know, you drive, you know, two hours both ways, and I know you got to get home in time for your boys to get off the bus, and I was just thinking, well, what if something happened to you on the way here or there? You wouldn't know. And he said, I just want you to have my number in case you ever break down and you need somebody to come get you. And I'm thinking, well, I, I do have AAA and quadruple A, and I'm, but I'm saying, oh, man, that's, that's really, really kind of you. He's like, that, well, he's like, that wasn't really I wanted your number. He's like, I was thinking. He's like, you know, I've been doing pretty good, and I'm actually, you know, you know I sell more than you do. I'm like, thanks for reminding me. And he said, that's because I source in more places than you can source because you can only do this one day a week. I was like, well, I know, but it's fine. He said, I actually know of another auction in, he told me the town. It's, I'm not telling you where it is, but he did. <laughs> an hour north of here, and he's like, it's an online auction, and it uses the same platform I use sometimes. And he said, uh, he said you should think about that. I was like, well, I yeah, I appreciate that. It's like, but when I said, when are pickups? He said, Friday morning. I said, I can't get up there and get here. He's like, I know that. And listen to what I'm trying to tell you. He's like, you talk too fast and you talk too much. <laughs> Why is that funny to you? <laughs> he said, I wanted to offer to you that if you'll start bidding, he's like, they end every Thursday night, anything you win, text me. He's like, they know me real well up there. Just text me Thursday night. I'll pick it up for you on Friday. I'll load it in my car and I'll bring it here and you can just take it home with you. And I'm like, you don't have to do this. He's like, oh, I won't use the language he used in response, but he, in very no answer, he's like, I know I don't have to. I want to do this for you. I was like, well, bro, I'm not trying to inconvenience you. He's like, listen, there's going to be one condition. If you apologize to me one more time, I'm not doing it. I offered. So this last week was 400 pounds of rusty horseshoes. But, you know, he's rethinking the whole thing. Here's, here's the thing, though. Here's the payoff to the story. Here's what he says. He says, the reason I want to do this, he's like, when I found out what you did, I guess it's just my way of paying penance for all the wrong I've done in my life. Do you hear that? What was the Holy Spirit's job on all of our hearts? Make aware that we're wrong. Make us aware that there is a God that's righteous and we're not. And make us aware that at some point we're going to be judged for the wrong that we've done. And everything in that one sentence told me the Holy Spirit's been dealing with all of those things on his heart his whole life. And here is a guy that's been brought into my life who says, and in, in my words, what I'm saying is he recognizes he's done wrong and that it's not right. He recognizes that there's a God that he needs to appease in order to have a relationship with him. And he's not content to go to his grave that way. He's trying to do something on his terms to avoid judgment and make it right. I wish I had time to tell you how I took that conversation to more questions. And then the brakes were put up a little bit. I deal with that in my notes. What do you do when you feel the door closing? I do not want to go into eternity without Robin. Oops, that's his real name. Hope he's not listening. Different Rob, right? I don't want to go into, I don't care if you know, buddy. That's, you know, I've told you that. But I didn't go in with any strategy. I wasn't even really paying attention. Holy Spirit is inviting you to work with him. How hard was that? I want you to love that. I want you to make the most of every opportunity. You see, I don't do this side hustle anymore because, oh, we need the money. We can't. It's not about that. It's just an opportunity for me to meet more people like him.
rub shoulders with it. Live wisely. Boy, am I glad I lived wisely. He noticed me. He came up to me, and he confessed things to me. Wasn't any question I learned in a class that I've taught. It wasn't any track. He just opened up to me his heart, and the Holy Spirit helped me hear through what he said and say, well, Rob, what if there were a better way than penance for you to be at peace for all the wrongs that you've done? You're going to start preaching to me now? Only if you want me to. Maybe another time. Anytime, buddy. How about that typewriter? Will you be on that journey with me? Do you want God to bring people in? Those people might already be in your life. You just need to listen. Pray, care, prayer, care, share. And pray over you. You bow your heads with me. Maybe today's your day. I don't know. Last week was a day for some of you. For a young lady in the 11 o'clock service, so glad you're back today and your kids are here. That you took up with an invitation of a friend you met in school, professional school. We met a gentleman in our first service last week who came back this week who was in the parking lot at Ikea and he recognized that his heart wasn't right with God so he Googled churches near me and wouldn't you know that somewhere in God's providence, he knew that he'd put a church that preached the gospel that would just happen to fit that Google search. He came to the nine o'clock service, heard the worship team singing a song that convicted his heart. And so he went into the bathroom and started crying. And one of our security guys walked in there and said, man, what's going on? He said, I just heard that song and I'm just, I can't stay. I'm just too much of a mess. And our security guard says to him, Brother, we are all messes. Let's go in. I can't. I'm a blubbering idiot. We are all blubbering idiots, buddy. I'm taking you in there myself. He came into this room, didn't respond to the altar call, but wheeled himself down to talk to Suba and Gwen. And they led that gentleman to Jesus. Not because of anything that we had done, but just happened. We happened to have a church that God decided should be at 5020 Campbell Boulevard. For this gentleman one day would be doing a Google search and it would lead him right to our doorstep. They were just ready to engage in that conversation when God opened it up. So maybe today's your day. You ready to come to relationship with God? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus this morning? Are you ready to surrender your life to him? And all it is is repent and believe. Believe and repent. Believe you need to be saved. Believe you can, that Jesus can save you. And you have to believe he'll save you if you ask him. If you believe that, if you're convinced of that, then today is your day to repent. That just simply means you're going to make a, a change in direction. You're going to turn away from being the best me I can be to saying, I want to be all of Jesus I can be. I want him to lead me. I give up being my own leader. He's my Lord. He's my leader. So if you believe and you're ready to repent, Tell that to Jesus right now. He is listening. Just tell him. Use your words. He will hear you. He's listening to you. Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner. I am not right with you. I know I deserve to be judged, but I'm coming to you today asking for forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving me. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. Make me into the image of Jesus. 
I'm ready to follow you now. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, he heard you and you are saved. Here's what I ask. Do something brave this morning to celebrate that. I'm going to count to three. If you prayed that prayer with me, slip up a hand, make eye contact with me. You can put it right down. Just want to celebrate with you. Who prayed with me? One, two, three. Who prayed for me this morning? Awesome. I got you. Thank you. Praise God. That's fantastic. So glad you're here today. Who else? Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray on behalf of all my brothers and sisters that you'll give us an appetite to be more active in doing our work. Use us to pray for somebody, to care for that person, and when you open up opportunities to share. And Lord, may you develop friendships within this congregation who can encourage us when things are well. And on the days where these conversations ends in train wrecks, that we can just share it with someone and they can encourage us to try it again. Because we can't control all the different variables. We just want to be active where you are. Holy Spirit, you're working all the time. We say yes to your invitation to come alongside you. In your name we pray. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.